Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. A spectacular sextet of releases, new releases, new additions to the Warner Archive Collection are the subject of this week's Warner Archive podcast. First, we always like to mention something new that's blue, Blu-ray that is, and we've got two new Blu-rays to talk about. The first ever HD master of a film that was previously only available as a double feature DVD. This is Richard Harris starring in Man in the Wilderness from 1971, a film that we will talk about in great detail. This is a great action film and it looks spectacular in this new Blu-ray. Next we go from the big screen to the slightly smaller screen because movie screens are getting smaller as television screens are getting bigger. This is current television and uh, I love Lucifer. This is Lucifer (laughs) season one because it got renewed and it's going to start season two very shortly. On Blu-ray, we've got 13 episodes to bring you of this fantastic show show, which is currently on the Fox Network. And this is from 2016 because it was a mid-year replacement and it did so well that it got renewed for the upcoming season this fall. So Lucifer Season 1 on Blu-ray is new from the Warner Archive Collection. And then on DVD, we also have a very current season. Season 3 of the sitcom Mom, starring Allison Janney and Anna Faris, which we brought you last year, Season 2, on DVD from 2015 and 16. And Mom will be reappearing on CBS for season four later this fall. Then we go from the land of television to the land of selected short subjects. And one of the short subjects that we found most delectable to discuss are our Fitzpatrick travel talks, which were released by MGM to theaters from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. We had a volume one a little earlier this year that did so well. We're happy to bring you volume two. And this covers the same time period as volume one 1934 to 1945 but there are indeed 60 shorts in color by technicolor as james a fitzpatrick took his camera around the globe to be the voice of the globe and show you sights previously unseen to theater goers back in the 30s and 40s and now we're going to bring you a second collection of 60 shorts from mr fitzpatrick last but not least we have two very diametrically different feature films one from <laughs> 1930 at the dawn of sound we have john barrymore in moby dick an adaptation of the classic novel with a twist which we'll talk about in a moment and then from 1969 we have an epic from the british screen starring david hemmings alfred the great so gentlemen let us start to rev our engines and talk about the beautiful new blu-ray of man in the wilderness this story alone is worth starting to talk about because it is loosely based on historic events that have been mined in several other films including the most recent iteration the revenant starring leonardo dicaprio and we were not late in the game we've been planning this blu-ray of man in the wilderness before the revenant opened but the dates changed and so our blu-ray has arrived after the revenant's uh, theatrical success but we found it would be a perfect opportunity to revisit this story because this is a take of the same basic historical material 45 years ago and it doesn't feel like a 45 year old movie at all. If you're familiar with The Revenant, this is while similar, not the same at all. It's 
not a Western. It's not a strict action movie. It's not a strict survival film. It's something all to its own. If you look into what we know about the real life Mm -hmm. Hugo Glass that these stories that Richard Harris character plays is Zachary Bass. Not just the broad beats, but a lot of the smaller beats of the story are actually what happened. Yeah, I mean, Hugo was mauled by a bear. Two people were left with him to keep him as comfortable as he could be. They were expecting him to die. He didn't die. Hostile Indians were in the area, so they took off. He survived. He went on an arduous trek, got back to civilization, and then immediately went out and searched the two people who left them because he wanted his rifle back. And those are the same things in every version of this tale. And those details, and then the other details and how they play out, that's where almost the poetry comes in. Exactly. And it's really interesting to compare Man in the Wilderness made in the 70s to a film like The Revenant made now because they tell two very, very different spiritual journeys. Right. And what's really sort of captivating about this revisionist neo-survival movie western whatever you want to call it is really the interplay between the director puts between the uh, long shots of nature these incredibly Mm -hmm. broad vistas which is one of the great things about this blu-ray is you get these broad nature shots and then we have these very claustrophobic tight end things on Richard Harris who has except for the flashbacks an incredibly silent performance in this film but we see the journey that you know I would say in The Revenant it's about squashing out all that's human in this character and it's kind of the opposite man in the wilderness as bringing he, out the humanity yeah. exactly because and we should mention that the director Richard C. Serafian is responsible for certain films that have a cult appeal most notably in my mind Vanishing Point which mm. was done around the same time with Barry Newman that That's a film that really wasn't a big hit at the box office, but resonated for a long time in cinephiles' mind. And also uh, another favorite of the Warner Archive collection, The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. One of my favorite conceits in all of cinema is this image of these men pushing a schooner across the prairie. They're commanded by John Huston, who's sort of the antagonist. It's not really explained why they're doing it. It kind of is. I know it kind of is, but really in real life you would never do that. No, I mean, well, people have portaged boats, but But not not this size. Not this size. (laughs) This character is unique to this film, and the image of, and this was shot also, it's not a spaghetti western, but it was shot in Spain, but it is the wilderness. And seeing this boat being dragged by a mule train, it almost reminds me, and this is pertinent for this podcast, it's like Moby Dick. It's the captain and... and See, I would have gone with Fitzcarraldo. Okay, but that works too. I mean, there's nothing quite like an overland sea journey. And it's so beautifully shot. This is something that fans of all kinds would really like. And this film has been underappreciated for far too long, and yet it was a big success when it came out. And one of the things that contributed to its success was the studio's decision to cut it in significant ways because it was originally rated X because of Uh, the violence. Interesting. And it ended up going out as a GP, which is the old version of what is now theoretically PG, although it would really be PG-13. And frankly, if you took this movie to the MPA right now, they'd give it an R. Culturally, <laughs> we have become much more infantile in the decades since the 70s. Man in the Wilderness oh, loved it. has been given the Tiffany treatment in terms of bringing it to Blu-ray. Because the film was so popular, there was a lot of wear and tear put on the negative, and that was inherent in the elements that we were working from, and there was a lot of color correction to do and cleaning to do, and the result is a glistening Blu-ray, as the gentleman have said, a beautifully shot film. So 
we highly recommend Man in the Wilderness from 1971, starring Richard Harris and uh, John Huston in one of his rare but incredibly unforgettable screen appearances. Totally one of the great directors of cinema who, when he did act, usually gave an unforgettable performance, and he's wonderful in this film. And frightening, as always. He is a menace to not only his men, but the wilderness itself. Well, who else could say these words as he did? She's mine too, Evelyn. (laughs) (laughs) Evil, evil. That's the kind of character. And speaking of evil, they don't get more evil than Lucifer. And charming. Indeed. Lucifer, which is now making its premiere on Blu-ray from the Warner Archive Collection. This is season one, 13 episodes, a show that made its debut earlier this year in January on the Fox Network. It was such a success that it's coming back this fall, and we're happy to bring you this wonderful show on Blu-ray for you to own with better quality than you could ever expect to see anywhere else. This show has a very unusual provenance. The main character, Lucifer, who is indeed Lucifer Morningstar, this uh, version of him... Literally the uh, devil. ...began as a supporting character in a storyline in Neil Gaiman and Sam Keith and Mike Dragenberg's Sandman comic. It's a very engaging storyline in which, basically, we would say this happens right before the series starts. Uh-huh. Lucifer quits. He's just tired of being in charge of hell, and he goes to Dream and says, I'm quitting. Here are the keys to hell. You pick who it goes to, and that's Dream's Dilemma. The character proved so popular that he was actually spun off into his own comic, which was written by Mike Carey, which was a very unusual move for Vertigo Comics at the time. And then the uh, character proved so engaging, he then now has made the transition to TV. And I admit, especially given sensitivities in the country about certain subjects, I was like, this is going to be a hard play. But they do it with such a deft light touch, and they have so perfectly cast the lead who sells you on this absurd concept of Lucifer has quit, he's bored, so now he's going to investigate crime, because why not? Tom Ellis deserves a lot of credit for that. The setup is he retires to Hollywood, where he opens up a nightclub, and he just so happens to decide fighting crime sounds like fun. So it's a procedural, and it's also got all these meta aspects to it, which are just phenomenal. I mean, it's a comedy, it's a bromance, only they're opposite sexes, but it's definitely a bromance, and it's a procedural, and it's an urban fantasy, because there's a deeper mythology working in the background. And it is serious, and yet... Yet not so serious. There's yeah, kind of a yeah. deft touch. Which is hard. Just exactly. Very hard to achieve, and they pull it off beautifully. That's why the show has already gathered a legion of fans. Just like it takes place in Hollywood, they step out. It's sometimes Hollywood. It's sometimes Vancouver. It doesn't matter. It's a deft play between the two locations. That takes us to the DVD release of Mom, Season 3, starring Allison Janney, multiple Emmy Award winner, as well as Anna Faris. And this is a Chuck Lorre production. It is going into its fourth season on CBS, and it is our delight and pleasure to bring it to you on DVD from the Warner Archive Collection. Season 3 is more of the same, and I don't mean that in any way as a negative thing, but what this show does that is very interesting. If you were to just describe the plots, people would think that you were talking about a very serious, very depressing drama. And yes, there's a serious tinge to the show because it very, very honestly deals with addiction and recovery, but it's also 
also really, really funny. Again, a balancing act. It's a recovery comedy. And they take the recovery part very seriously. But if you're not even familiar with recovery or the terms... But everyone's familiar with dysfunction. Yeah, and it draws you right in. And mother-daughter relationships and the dysfunctions that can lie therein. And mother, 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 mother. Right. You know, there's an extra level of mother in this season. That's why the show is called Mom. Keeps going. A wonderful group of guests stars also show up in this during this season of mom well even beyond the guest stars is her uh, her support team yes sort of gets up to regular recurring status they're promoted and these are some uh, very uh, familiar faces if you're a fan of say acting Mimi Kennedy Jamie Presley and uh, Beth Hall all contribute greatly to the show as her sort of support unit so by all means if you're a fan of the show you're already planning to buy it but if you're not by all means you must become one because you're missing one of the finest sitcoms on television So we heartily and lovingly recommend Mom Season 3, now available from the Warner Archive Collection. And now, with a sigh, we must reluctantly say farewell to the land of television as we enter the land of Metro-Golden-Mare in the 1930s and 40s and the wonderful Fitzpatrick travel talk shorts that festooned the Lowe's Theater and other theater screens around the world for movie audiences to see travelogues that took them to places both familiar and unfamiliar for decades. And the first set of 60 James Fitzpatrick Travel Talk documentary shorts that we released on DVD earlier this year was so successful that we followed it up very quickly with this volume two with another 60 shorts covering the same period of time as volume one, 1934 to 45. With the purchase of volume two, if you bought volume one, you will have completed all the shorts that Mr. Fitzpatrick made for MGM from this period. So we deliberately broke them up into two because we didn't know what the fan response would no. be to volume one. No idea. But it was overwhelmingly like, wow, we want to own this. It wasn't just film fans. It was people who really wanted to own a piece of world history yeah. because it's like having, remember the world book encyclopedia, yeah. right? It's yeah. like having the world book in a DVD. You can learn all of about different cultures, different parts of the Americas. And I say that because a lot of the shorts that were shot during World War II had to focus on the area where there wasn't battle going on. And one of the other remarkable things about these shorts is seeing Europe before World War II and seeing Asia before the, World War II. And then also seeing the Americas before the hyper-development that would shortly occur in the and 50s and the 60s. Right. Films were not really shot on location before this period that often. It was like post-war that we had studio films really right. going outside. Almost never were they shot on and, location. And so it's a secondary source, but it almost is for the Americas a primary source of history and how people saw themselves and how they were presented to themselves. And almost each one that I watched, I started then immediately going and looking up the history of the area that he was covering, sort of to see how they were spinning it for the audience at the time what we were seeing. I mean, this this is a piece of a wonderful history jigsaw puzzle, as you said. And when you get into the war period, when they started to look at more domestic things, it wasn't just a city, but you were looking at almost like tourist attractions. Absolutely. And there's one in there, which I 
loved, which was about the quintuplets of Ontario, which I had never heard of. What? Yeah, yeah. I had never heard of where, them. Where, where have, have you, you been? been? I know. <laughs> I know exactly. They it were a cultural phenomenon. They also had their own film series of 20th Century Fox. Yeah, they certainly did. I, this all uh, came out, and then I was like, oh, this is the reference that people were talking about in all yeah. those films and all the celebrities that had come to visit them. And then what happened to these quintuplets? What a fascinating story. Well, what happened to them isn't revealed in No, the no, short. it's not revealed into this, but, but you, this is you, part of that yeah. whole story. And this kicked off this journey for me thanks to these shorts. Occasionally, one of them will run on television, but people didn't have a way of curating them, collating them, having them all right. as one. And so that leads us with uh, to be, bring you the most blessed news that there will be a volume three to complete Ooh. the collection and bring you every Fitzpatrick travel talk up until they ceased production in the early 1950s. And they really are an invaluable historical record, as well as great entertainment. And the reason why I said reluctantly bid and say a fond farewell. That kind of joke has been going on for decades <laughs> because people would make fun of the way Fitzpatrick would narrate these shorts right. and end them all pretty much the same way. But it was like, <laughs> you know, comfort food. Fitzpatrick Travel Talks Volume 2, the voice of the globe, James A. Fitzpatrick and his Technicolor cameras, sometimes shot by people who had gone to become very famous cinematographers. In true three-color Technicolor, really remarkable for their time and remarkable time pieces. There are 60 more of them on this Volume 2 edition, which is available now from the Warner Archive Collection. And Volume 3 will be available before Christmas if all goes well, as we're in production right now. So you can look forward to that. Now we move to what usually we talk about first, but we're talking about last today, and that is classic motion pictures making their DVD debut. And we start out with one from 1930. So it was made right here in beautiful downtown Burbank. Bank 86 <laughs> years ago. Oh my. John Barrymore, the great John Barrymore, stars in Moby Dick from 1930. And it was not the first time that John Barrymore was the lead in a film version based on the famous Herman Melville novel. He had, in fact, done a silent version of Moby Dick for Warner Brothers in 1926, and it was called The Sea Beast. And it was a little different and much longer, and Warner Brothers made the decision to revisit the story with sound and using their famous water tank. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, in 75 minutes, they managed to tell the story of Moby Dick and change the ending. Uh, yeah, and well, the beginning. she pretty much changed the whole thing. <laughs> I'm not going to give away the no, ending. No, but, but not can, the way the book ends. We can give away the beginning. I will just say you that. You have to give away yeah. the beginning. If actually. you are a staunch Melville fan, this movie's liberties will surprise you. But if you can move that aside, this movie is really a rousing, great early action it, picture. It is. And Barrymore's terrific. Do not watch this movie instead of reading the book for your high school class. Yeah. <laughs> that will not help you, especially because the film opens up and you see them open up the book and they've uh, rewritten Melville's words. Don't it, worry about I'll it. I'll just say that Ishmael's not even in it. What is very interesting about the film is it does... 
once you get from the book thing, we go to a shot of the memorial to the Exeter, yeah. which was actually the inspiration for the story for Melville, uh, recently made into a studio picture, I believe. Ahab is still the protagonist, but now he's also the lead character. Mm-hmm. The story gets rejiggered, so there's a seafaring rogue Ahab yes. and his dutiful deacon assistant brother on land, and the two of them are vying for the affections of the very young, very lovely Joan Wait. Bennett. Oh, not da- the whale. Daughter of the deacon. <laughs> And um, we are then party to the tragedy that happens to Ahab's leg and then his path of vengeance on the high seas. When you start diverging from the source material, there's a bit of a worry. But this is a great piece of classic cinema that anyone can enjoy for a variety of reasons. We talked about this a little bit last week. But again, we have a 1930 talking picture, which shows how far the medium had come in just a mere two years and a few months since The Jazz Singer. And I kind of found the minimal scoring added to the – I kind of like the minimal scoring now when we're watching these 1930s movies because it's almost – like I'm not being told what to feel more like a play that actually draws me in so this is yet another film that had not had a home video release on VHS the DVD is the home video premiere of the 1930 version of Moby Dick it has been remastered for your viewing pleasure and we do hope you enjoy it now historically we have a very different kind of epic film moving forward almost 40 years to 1969 and the MGM British Studios where David Heming starred in Alfred the Great. And this was intended to be quite a different take on historical storytelling. I mean, this is very much a product of its time, but at the same time, they are still making an epic medieval pageant movie, but right. they're also sort of noticing the descent of their age and sort of drawing a reverse parallel to the descent of the end of the Dark Age. If and it does feel like a 1969 movie. Yes. If, if you compare it to a medieval historic film of 10 years earlier, this is way different. This is definitely, you could call it revisionist, you know, Mm -hmm. in the same way that the Westerns were being remade at the time. And that sensibility is more identifiable to a modern audience. And that is what I liked about it because it really kind of drew me into this historic period, which is not paid attention to enough. And Michael York plays an evil Viking and is terrific in it. Could be Michael York's best performance. As a young Roman history nerd, I was very much taken by the second half of this story. And I think the story definitely percolated in the back of some of the writers for Game of Thrones as a scene that just played out the most recent season. I'm like, I would love to think those folks had seen this movie. This has been a movie that's been very hard to see. It was not successful upon its release. If you think about this being released in 1969 when everything was about the sexual revolution and, and there's political a bit of that. revolution. Yeah, you, you get a little bit of the yeah. role in the hills, yeah. shall we say. Quickly on the plot, because okay, this yeah, is yeah, world yeah. history. Alfred is the younger brother of Ethelred, and the Danes invade Wessex. And Ethelred, as history came to call him, was not ready. Unready. Ethelred the unready. <laughs> and Alfred, who is in training to be a priest, gets called in the service of his country, eventually becoming war leader and then king where he's then forced to marry and is then forced to give up his bride as a hostage to the invading Danes where she finds a hotter passion than she gets from Alfred. And it was sort of interesting that the romance between the Dane and the hostage mm-hmm. is treated not negative. And but that's, that's the 1969 difference. That's 1969, that's yeah. 1969 yeah. and that's Game of Thrones style When drama. I When I was a kid I thought this was all set in the Bad Cave and it was bad Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But 
This film had difficulty finding an audience when it came out, and it was also subjected to coming out just at the time that MGM was being swallowed up by a new owner who was out to decimate the company. So the film really didn't get much marketing support and was not a box office success, but has been occasionally seen in butchered form on television. This is the first new 16 by 9 letterbox master that takes advantage of the luscious location photography and the Mm -hmm. epic film that these people made. And it is definitely worth a look-see, worth an add to your collection. And I could be wrong, but I do believe this is Sir Ian McKellen's first film role. Absolutely. It, it is. He plays a, a notable and a very part. crucial character. This yeah. is probably, I guess, about 10 years or so before he would achieve fame in this country on the stage in Amadeus. And uh, yeah. it would be a long time before he would establish himself as a internationally known screen star. It wasn't really until he was an older man. Right. But here you see him in the prime of youth. And it's fascinating to see one of the greatest actors of our time in one of his first roles. Uh, well, first role on film, as you say. But Remarkable cast all the way around. Lots of really, really talented actors. But he, he fits into the swords and, you know, battling oh, genre. Yeah. Just You're like, yes, of course he would be in this. This was one of those films. What do you mean it's not available on DVD? Yeah. Well, one of the things Warner Archive Collection is here for is to right those wrongs. And now it is available. Uh, newly mastered in letterbox with gorgeous stereophonic soundtrack and uh, uncut as originally seen in cinemas. They blew this up to 70 millimeter in London. Oh, did they? Uh, for the English for the, release. For the it soundtrack? Was, yeah. Well, it was also because in England they had a law that you could charge twice the price if the film was 70 millimeter. Oh, that's funny. So, and that I didn't also, know that. That's why okay. they took a lot of... Uh, it's more film. It's only fair. That's yeah, right. Yeah. It's twice as much. It costs twice as much <laughs> to make the movie. <laughs> so uh, a lot of 35mm films were blown up to 70mm just for that purpose, oh, that including is... those that were not shot in widescreen. So the heads and feet <laughs> were cut off. Quovatis that oh happened to. Yeah. And it also happened to the great Caruso. So, That's an uh, unintended consequence. Yeah, that law didn't last very long. However, there were films also when they were brand new right. that were blown up for that reason and also as you say for the soundtrack yeah. because there was no way to have six tracks of audio unless you had 70 millimeters so they did give it the 70 millimeter six track blow up treatment wow. in the UK so we don't have six tracks of audio we just have two <laughs> we have this beautiful new master and the film is now available so you're going from parallels of cinema early talkie 1930 Moby Dick to 1969's Alfred the Great but both making their home video debut from the Warner Archive Collection. And now it comes to the part of the podcast where we happily read a letter from consumers who have taken the time and effort and crayon to paper to send us missive questions, whatever, and we happily share those with you on the podcast. But this week, alas, thou hast not sent us any communiques through thy mail. Third week in a row. And we recently uncovered a cache of interesting curios that need a home. Dan has these wonderful things that we Don't both want. Don't reveal what they I'm are. I'm not going to say what they are, but they are fantastic. Superb swag that Dan will send you I if mean, you'll send us a letter with a good question. Very limited. Very. 
by very their limited. very nature. Mm. This is primo stuff, and you can get it by writing an intelligent letter to us at Warner Archive Podcast, 3400 Riverside Drive, B160-4, and that's Burbank, California, 91522. And so please send us a letter, and please make sure you listen for our next Warner Archive podcast. But until that time, I am George Feltenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. Roger, a bandit. Thank you for listening, and look forward to the next Warner Archive podcast.